Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams. Nothing but the truth. It's February 2nd, 2015. I'm going to do part four of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's Satanic Origins. Um, we were reading, we landed off uh, last part, part three, reading an article of AA Satanic Roots. And we were discussing such aspects as uh, Aleister Crowley's uh, influence and how he founded two churches, one called uh, uh, or the Order of Oriental Templars, or at least, and then AA, with capital A, capital A, with uh, Argent, Argentium Astrum, um, and that was uh, Silver Star, the Order of the Silver Star. And uh mentioned a little bit about... Uh, Bill Wilson having a mutual friend with uh, Atlas or Aldous Huxley. Uh, uh, Bob, uh, Doctor Bob, co-founder along with uh, Wilson, were uh, members of a charismatic organization called Oxford Group, which we've talked about numerous times. Um, Uh, Thelma, or Thelema, Thelema, excuse me, and that famous slogan, Do What Thou Wilt, is the whole of the wall, law. AA, uh, their famous, one of their famous quotes is, uh, the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riots. Uh, start talking about... Uh, as, uh, Satan gets mainstreamed. Um, and uh, maybe that's where we are at, actually. Okay, <clears throat> so I'm going to start reading this. There's a lots of information out there. This could, I could take me quite a few episodes or parts to get through any of this. And it looks like that's where we're at. Satan gets mainstreamed. Okay. Now, you know, I was uh, in AA for a long time. Uh, I was very active. Uh, when a few people even did the steps, let alone I, uh, I did them, excuse me, I did them six times through six different sponsors. Um, I was active. I was in the hospital committee for about two and a half years before the MS started kicking in. 
I uh, started AA groups, meetings, that is, uh, tried to sponsor. I'm glad I failed at it. Actually, the last guy I sponsored ended up stealing my big book, <laughs> which is a typical thing when you're dealing with people in that state of mind. Um, you know, very reliable. So, and uh, yeah, I'm shame. It's a shame I don't have my big book anymore because uh, I uh, studied that intensely. Uh, it's all highlighted, marked up, and all that, and. Uh, it would be kind of useful for the show, but then again, I'm not really promoting the big book or the big blue book anymore, so um, because I don't belong to the religion of Alcoholics Anonymous anymore. So. Anyway, Satan gets mainstream. Of course, most AA members deny AA is satanical, although some don't. Certainly, it is pagan and it's requirement that new member the new member choose a higher power that can be anything such as a coffee pot or the group itself as compared to the first commandment that I shall have no other God before me the job of the higher power is to remove the character defects like greed jealousy and pride that create the resentments that power the craving that leads to drinking that ends in sin or attempts thereof. And of course, it doesn't do that. It just makes people, like I mentioned last show, become very effective at being manipulators and liars and con artists. And once you get to know anybody for any length of time in AA, you start to see that come into come into reality. Um, it is interesting, some of the guys that uh, were considered uh, real spiritual men, every single one of them uh, in the program were either Roman Catholic or atheists. And for some reason, people really flocked to them. And uh, my experience from them, every single one of them, was that they're full of crap. So, <laughs> just as I was, you know. So, and it's inevitable because you're not walking with God; you're pretending to be God. So, and using the ways of men. So, some claim that AA is spiritual, not religious, because they can choose. You could choose your own higher power, but that's just makes it pagan. One must believe in their chosen higher power. Faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us, and how we perish. Big book, page 16. Some members claim that AA is Christian due to the recital of the Lord's Prayer at the end of each meeting where we all, we were, when I was in it, we all held hands, uh, practicing our little seance, if you will. Um, however, I have been to hundreds of meetings and never once heard a Christian prayer. This is true. And once again, if you bring up Christ, uh, you will be talked down to and attacked and 
that people will be belligerent towards you. Uh, I'm not, this is here, but that is extremely rare. Of course, one can choose Jesus Christ as a higher power, but as extremely rare, even if most members say, I am not Christian, but most members are in my group are, in quotes, the claim that Christianity is typically used by younger members as an avoidance strategy. I wanted to stop drinking, but AA felt too Christian and moralistic. It triggered the same feelings that drove me to drink in the first place. Then they all go out for a few drinks. Most members willing to name the God of their understanding choose various Eastern religions, religions and philosophies uh, that purport to eliminate earthly craving. Buddhism and Taoism are popular and an inevitability that leads to that. I know an awful lot, including myself, that were led into the New Age movement through AA. Um, along with various deities of Greek and Nordic mythology. Of all the research on alcoholism, none indicates what percent of members have chosen Satan himself as their higher power. But I reassure you, from my own experience, there are Satanists in the rooms. And, uh, of course, they just, they don't, they're not open about it. They might be, as time goes on, as Things are getting so wicked so fast. I wouldn't be surprised if people are now openly saying that. Though many members are quick to assert that such a choice is perfectly fine as long as it helps you stop drinking. However, the claim that AA is evil because it's satanic is met with furious um, spewage of insults and abuse characterized by atrocious spelling and grammar as demonstrated in uh, the comments below. So yes. uh, Of course, our country is founded on freedom of religion and, um, and people are free to believe whatever they want. Thank God. The purpose of this article is not to claim that one religion is superior to another, even if many of the comments here blame Christianity for various atrocities and genocide, uh, not to mention drinking itself. The purpose here is simply to show that alcoholism is a religion with satanic roots and its church is AA. And this way, AA transformed the religion of drink, sin, and amend into a disease called alcoholism. Of course, compulsive and excessive drinking and drug use existed before AA. The cause of this behavior was often mysterious to the casual observer, especially since the drinker would not openly admit the real reason even if they didn't claim not to have one, AA gave credence to the craving lie. 
I want to stop drinking, but cannot no matter how hard I try. This is the cult's central teaching. They claim their substance abuse was a battle against their own willpower, neglecting to mention the mischief while drunk, often with a claim of blackout. By the way, there was such a thing as a blackout, and I know when I was drinking, I, there were times when I certainly died. Uh, anyways, I don't want to go through a drunk a lot, but it's amazing I never killed anybody or uh, killed myself, for that matter. Um, but there is such a thing as blackout. You can't drink to excessive points. You don't even know where you're at. Uh, the same lie is used by drug addicts to justify the endless parade of reprehensible behavior under cover of a disease. In reality, the drug used is only to provide cover for the sin and mischief, and the user can stop any time. Withdrawal from all substances under medical supervision is universally reported as comfortable. Mm. I don't know about that one. <clears throat> they drink because they want to. That's that's true. You drink because you do want to. They'll say, well, there is a point, though, you poison yourself to a point where you literally can't maintain without continuing drinking, and you do need a detox. Um, that's an initial stage. And uh, obviously, that's not something that's supposed to be long-term. <laughs> uh, even though they claim otherwise, when an AA member says they get it, this means not that they have been cured of alcoholism. They are likely to relapse many times, but that they learn how to explain away their sins by calling it disease, a disease. Often, this is followed by the claim. AA worked for me and is the only thing that ever worked. I was going to die before I discovered AA. Anyone who says this simple but powerful lie likely has a few sponsees who they've inducted into the religion and more than a few stories of sponsees' abuse and exploitation like their hero Bill Wilson, we are relieved that at least there is a treatment for such unfortunates having fallen for the craving lie ourselves. Why does it matter if AA is a religion as long as it helps them stop drinking? Okay. So, yeah. What was I going to say there? Yeah, AA worked for me, and it was the only thing that worked. Well, you know, at the time, there is some truth to that, because if nobody, if you don't know God, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't know the truth, and by the way, people say, well, how can that be? There's churches everywhere. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of false Bibles, and there's a whole bunch of people playing Christianity who don't know God either doing it. Uh, But besides that, I didn't know them. I didn't want anything to do. And after being a Mormon, a Mormon missionary, and seeing what happened 
there, what happened to me, when I, <clears throat> the farce that that was, I didn't want anything to do with God, the Bible. You know, the devil certainly did a masterful job on me, because I argue that the, the, kind of the day the basis for, see, Mormonism is, the Book of Mormon is a discredit of the King James Bible, and uh, it's just religion, and it doesn't really work in the end. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it can't. It did. I had nowhere else to go at the time. I didn't because I didn't know there was somewhere else to go. <clears throat> Trying to read the Bible, I remember I, I tried, and it just didn't sink in. And of course, it's going to have the Spirit of God. I didn't get on my face and cry out to the Lord and said, hey, please help me, help me to have faith, help me to believe and all that kind of stuff. And uh, But uh, it, is a, it is a reflection, not only of this religion called AA, but it's a reflection of the society that we live in. It's a reflection of how corrupt the Christian faith, the Christian churches have become themselves. And how uh, the lack of power, the lack of ability to even teach the Word of God, they even give men true hope, even understanding of repentance and the gospel seems to... Um, and of course, as we read earlier, in the earlier parts, <clears throat> this whole thing about the Oxford group and trying to you know, apply Jesuit principles of the spiritual exercises and being all things to all people and just letting, you know, embracing them and using moral psychology instead of the world of God in order not to offend people. <clears throat> well, it's part of the whole dilemma here is that we've all abandoned the word of God pretty much. Um, at least the majority of them, of us, and ad- abandon Christ's teachings. And we turn it all into a big giant game or show, a religion. And um, of course, that doesn't really help the guy who's down and out, really um, spiritually, morally corrupt. Uh, and so they go to somewhere that's of like-minded folks. And unfortunately, it is a spiritualistic religion of false teaching called AA that we all go to because there's nowhere else to go to in this Romanized society that we live in. So, well, step one, we admitted that we we're powerless over all call in our lives have become unmanageable. Alcohol is simply a god slash demon idolized by the alcoholic during their drinking career. The 12-step program essentially is a process of exorcism, replacing one god slash demon for another less destructive. Despite the, the, the craving lie, most alcoholics claim they didn't realize how destructive their drinking was or that their lives had gotten out of control. 
Thus, it, it was not so much a matter of willpower as of realization and honesty, as most members are quick to admit. Cravings are rarely mentioned at AA. Go to your local meeting and see for yourself. And, um, well, you know, the thing is, once it's done, it's done. Once you to stop drinking and it's out of your system, uh, the craving does stop. Um, now, mentally, a man might still have those notions and have the desire to go back because of, well, conditioning and uh, not knowing a better way to go and not knowing how to deal with the, well, spiritual attacks that are happening, the stress, uh, the burdensomeness of this life, and because no one has properly taught them how to study the Bible and encourage them to study the Bible and be in the Word of God and show them what it really means to pray, and that it's not some big, giant, you know, public display or report reciting re- the same uh, prayer over and over again in vain repetition, but they were supposed to do this in private. And, of course, we live in a society where if you are private, uh, quote-unquote loner, there's something wrong with you, which, of course, is not the case. It's the complete opposite. Uh, In order for a man to really grow spiritually in the Word of God and to know God, Heavenly Father, and His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, a man needs to spend time alone in prayer, reading the Bible, studying it, asking the questions, and not being influenced by the group. And this is another powerful aspect of religion, in particular we're talking now about AA, the religion of AA, is that the group think and what it does to a man or woman denies you truly an opportunity to have a personal relationship with God and to have that uh, moments of contemplation slash meditation, if you will, the proper meditation, which is to, you know, read the Bible, uh, contemplate who God is, ask the questions, pray, have honest dialogue with God. Uh, You can't have that in a group, can you? It's so effective if you are always hanging out in the group, being a member of the group, well, then you're developing not a relationship with God, but with fellow fellow man. Now, is there something wrong with having a relationship with fellow man? Of course not. What is the problem is when that becomes priority number one, everything's been reversed. You're supposed to first have that personal relationship with God and his word, then man. But with AA and so many religions, including so many Christian denominations religions, it's been reversed. So, addiction fiction. Each AA member has his own pet theory on the neurological basis of addiction. Generally posting a rude, oh, excuse me, a rub Goldberg, a rube Goldberg contraption consisting of dopamine, serotonin, uh, the mesolimbic uh, neocortex, uh, 
the the Miguel <laughs> I can answer amygdala, excuse me, that's what it is, amygdala and hippocampus. So, yeah, so this whole idea, we approach it in a, in a pseudo-scientific way of uh, the disease uh, the, and not really knowing anything about neuro, neurology, the study of neuro, uh uh, in the science or neurology, not really even understanding the brain. Like so many of us, we read the first thing or a couple of things, and then that says whatever satisfies our uh, our notions. Uh, and makes us sound like we know what we're talking about. So, when in truth, the big words, once you cut them, you know, break it down, you realize um, we really don't know what we're talking about. So... <laughs> Try to, um, but um, the truth is, you know, most of us haven't spent our lives studying the brain and the neural and nervous system and what happens. And nor will we. So they claim that the drug use requires neural pathways to mess up the reward center in the brain which they back up with various Wikipedia articles whose footnotes refer to each other. Anyone who challenges this proven scientific fact is displaying ignorance. Kind of sounds like evolution, for one thing. Another bogus science. And... uh, we do get really good at manipulating and conning each other and ourselves, don't we? It doesn't matter if you're an AA or some other group. We are really good at being salesmen. Uh, the government researchers produce completely bogus fiction about addiction, which they pass off as science. The rehab industry promotes sham evidence-based treatments the public policy exerts experts repeat the same old uh, canards about the unimaginable suffering of the addict and their loved ones while complaining that the lack of good science about addiction justifies maintenance of the status quo. Addiction is a disease, not a crime, although we should continue to punish people for drug use and refer people who got in trouble while drinking and drugging to AA because it's free and the only treatment available in most places anyway. They refuse even to consider the possibility that treatment actually creates Addicts. Very valid points. AA propaganda is continually imposed upon us from Hollywood as well. That's true, gosh. For example, in a recent episode of the sci-fi series Extent, Grandfather Quinn... I don't know about this series. I, I don't watch television, so I don't know. <laughs> Relapses with a shot of whiskey and then immediately makes a 
double or nothing bet on the bar games game skills of his robot grandson. I don't know what that means. Of course, the wager did not turn out well. If he had taken a moment to ask his higher power to remove his greed, he might have been able to resist the unbearable craving to drink and walk out while he was ahead. Portrayals like this inextricably and I didn't say it right, can connect drinking with sin while deferring the penalty. And this all comes back once again to reading the Bible, praying in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, accepting the fact that you're a sinner on a daily basis. This will help you to stop doing a lot of these things because God will put the Spirit in you and you have a conscience. Okay. But the simple and obvious truth is that we are sinners who enjoy sinning, and the religion of alcoholism can provide a convenient cover for those so inclined, and especially those who are Satanists and atheists, because uh, they can pretend they're not in a religion when they are. And they can say they don't believe in God or the God in the Bible and get away with it. As long as we are willing to tell the craving lie and make amends at some future date, typically 40s and 50s. Well, I started in the 30s, so there are a lot of young people that do that. But that's true. Most people don't actually start doing this until they're in their middle ages when their life has been totally and absolutely screwed up. And they don't know where else to go because when we didn't develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, we didn't develop a relationship with the Bible and the true Word of God. And uh, now, hear me, I'm not saying going to develop a relationship with a church, a man made religion. Unfortunately, the same principles are used as brainwashing techniques against vulnerable newcomers often sent by the courts and are in search of companionship who must first confess powerlessness over alcohol, i.e. admit that they have a deadly disease, and then to cure it, they must confess their sins and insecurities with rigorous honesty. And, of course, at the time, that's when I thought I was doing, but then again, I didn't know the Word of God, and I didn't know my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so I was doing it based on my own perception of things and uh, the vain philosophies of men. So Definitely nice preparatory schools for the, the secret societies like uh, Freemasonry. Or to prepare you to become a Roman Catholic. And I've seen that quite a bit where folks, after being in AA for a long time, end up, you know, thinking they need to join finally a religion. And because AA is not really cutting the mustard, and uh, they end up becoming a Roman Catholic. It's very good preparatory school to get one to become a Roman Catholic. I'll tell you this much is you end up trying to be uh, a Baptist or uh, a Protestant and that yeah, yeah. God will start working on you 
and uh, you will not fit in in AA. <laughs> you will know that you will become unlikable uh, in that part of the group and will have to make a decision. So, And people say, well, at least they're joining a better group, uh, uh, you know, with Baptist group growth, but Sure, that is, and that's certainly a step in the right direction as far as that, but the problem is they teach futures, uh, dispensational futurism, and they have twisted the Bible themselves and not teaching the truth themselves. But in the beginning, it certainly is a place to go to hear the Bible and the Word of God, but... Hopefully, God, God's Spirit will be in you and you work on you and say, well, listen, there's something not right about here. I better keep on looking and looking. And this time, instead of joining the group, I'm going to find God, have a relationship with God, a relationship with that Bible, His Word. And then I will, if there is a group to join, then I will let Him lead me to that. But unfortunately, most people don't have the patience to do that. And uh, the only reason why... I had the patience is because it was an act of God, and through I guess my yeah my MS and being he allowed this disability if you will this uh, physical ailment to happen to slow me down enough to start to have some kind of relationship with them. Uh, probably is not the most impressive one, but uh, I can tell you this much: if I still had my health and everything. And I was who I was five years ago. Uh, there would be no personal relationship with God. I'd be so plowing along, uh, exercising that Crowleyan uh, principle: do without will. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I just would have been thinking about myself like so many others, and never would have had a personal relationship. So I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for people in the program. I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for people outside the program who are in all these whacked out religions starting from Roman Catholicism down and that uh, we have this big gaping hole, if you will, that they talk about in your heart. And, uh, it really is what it is. It's, it's a lack of having a personal relationship with God, the true and living God. And... Um, Unfortunately, most people will not hear this because we're all at enmity with God and uh, we really don't want to. Because, you know, a lot of part of it is things that we've been told, which aren't true. Okay, where was I at in all this when I went off my diatribe here? Um... Newcomers instruct not to date the first year and subjected to sexual and financial exploitation and uh, lucky ones will eventually escape the group with unexplained bitterness and paranoia and the less fortunate will be among the thousands each year who succumb to their learned powerlessness in a time of crisis thereby contribute to the statistics that testify to the deadly power of the satanic religion that is considered by most to be a medical disease despite its striking resemblance to old-fashioned demon possession. 
then for some reason start talking about this Darren Aronofsky, Satan's propagandist, as a child, Darren Aronofsky was deeply troubled by the story of Noah, in which God destroyed the wicked in a great flood. What if God considered him to be among the wicked? Would he be destroyed too? He addresses his lifelong despair in his movie Noah in 2014, a parody of the Bible story and Aronofsky's version, God destroys the world as punishment for a man destroying the world. Noah, who is described as righteous in the Bible, is represented as angry and capricious in the Bible, in the movie, he ch- uh, chastises his son for plucking a flower, then kills a man for killing an animal for meat and calls it justice. In the Bible story, he is instructed directly by God to build the ark. In the movie, he, is, he has vague dreams and frightening visions and questions God's purpose for him, visiting his great-grandfather, uh, Methuselah, played by Anthony Hopkins, who suggests that he should surmise God's will as best you can understand it. He later then threatens to kill his grandchildren because he incorrectly infers that God's will for him is to ensure the extinction of mankind after the flood. The message of the movie is that it's not safe to trust your will to God, even though the Christian God expects you to use your own willpower. Only AA must you entrust to a higher power, for if you find yourself at AA, evidently God is not safe. It's not a safe bet. Perhaps that was. Grandpa Quinn's mistake. It never occurred to young Darren that he simply didn't have to be wicked. Though it didn't help that he was no doubt troubled by Adam and Eve's expulsion from Garden of Eden from the innocent sin of eating the forbidden fruit afterwards. After all, God created them with strong desire. What right had he to punish them for experiencing it, especially as it was manipulated by Satan, another of God's creations? He should have created a will that could overcome temptation. But as a result of this design flaw, man was punished expelled from paradise and condemned to a lifetime of work and suffering, Aronofsky explores the injustice of this mistake in his movie Requiem of, for a Dream in 2000, which contains the iconic scene in which a drug addict carefully unplugs the TV while his mother is watching it for the purpose of selling it for drugs, apologizing for his behavior and his unbearable cravings, but unable to resist. His will is uh, un- 
is useless against his desires, just like Adam and Eve, the scene which was completely absurd before it was created and never actually happened ever in the history of the drug abuse, is now acted out on a daily basis for drug users around the world to the astonishment of their parents who insist that if it's not real addiction, then their child deserves an Oscar for their performance. Of course, every parent thinks their child is very talented, especially if they have no TV with which to view the competition. That's pretty funny. And... um, yeah, and it just reinforces what I'm saying. I mean, if you really want to uh, change, you're going to have to read the Bible. And you're going to have to read the daily, not the big book, the Bible. You're going to have to develop a personal relationship with God, and you're going to witness how the Word of God changes you. And it is a form of discipline because, you know, most of us are used to reading or watching television reading, uh, you know, fables and and fantasies like Harry Potter or whatever it may be um, uh, what the recent rock star is uh, or whatever uh, your school or your college or university has been telling you to read. Um, I mean, most people just don't think and most people do not have a personal relationship with God or been really taught how to do that and what that really means and obviously Aronofsky was a victim of all this Aronofsky seems to follow Gnostic philosophy in which God is actually an evil uh, demiurge aka the creator who created the material world, which is evil and painful and full of temptations and restrictions and rules and punishment. Then there is a higher God of the universe whose only law is do what thou wilt, sometimes represented by Satan for that for that reason. Perhaps he is movie movies are an offering to that higher God and the hopes of being rescued from his brutal subsistence of dating models and toiling on movie sets in exotic locations, <laughs> indulging in sin consciously or otherwise is one thing, but convincing others to indulge in it too, or teaching sin isn't sin, that's just evil. Though I try not to worry too much about men's wickedness, even if I haven't seen any rainbows lately, unless you count the movies Circular Rainbows, for but for some reason they provide little consolation. Nevertheless, I enjoyed the movie. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to look at now... Uh, this article, um, LSD researcher and co-founder Bill Wilson, and uh, 
Yeah, no, it, it is, this is going to take a long, I could see this is going to be another one of these long series, kind of like Are We Under the Beast or uh, Characteristics of the Antichrist, and, um, to really have it sink in and the legitimacy of the claims that we're making is obviously going to take some time to actually present the evidence. Uh, so anyway, Betty, the LSD researcher and AA co-founder, Bill Wilson. And part of this is about, you know, not only about the, the LSD connection to AA, but also starting to uh, identify a little more to the relationship with Aldous Huxley to Bill Wilson. Which should be a red flag to anybody who's done any kind of research on the New Age movement. Uh, Aldous Huxley is famous for uh, the Brave New World, and definitely an insider in the, uh, I guess, the Fabian Society, and influenced heavily by the Jesuits, and instrumental in the spiritualist New Age movement which is all basically to attack the Bible and to keep you from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it all comes down to. And uh, the devil, or Satan, and his little minions will give you any flavor as long as it's not the flavor of Jesus Christ for your uh, your scoops of ice cream, if you will. <laughs> Your your desires will be met through Satan, but not the truth. And hopefully, God will install and anybody who listens to this show, if they haven't already, which I'm sure they do, but who would be listening to this show, the desire for the truth. Okay. Uh, quote, but when AA co-founder Bill Wilson walked into the den, I knew this was his session. From rem- uh, Remembrance of uh, LSD Therapy, page at 27. Old mind. One of the researchers involved in the LSD experiments of the 1950s and 60s was Betty Grover uh, uh, Eisner. Ph.D., a woman who, whose book, Remembrance of LSD Therapy Past, is a fascinating and sad account of the attempt to use LSD as a therapeutic device. In the first two chapters of the book, we learn about Eisenhower, or Eisner's association with AA co-founder Bill Wilson and early AA member Tom Powers, Bill Wilson's first LSD experience was in Los Angeles, 1956, and February of 1957, Bill Wilson again ingested LSD, this time at Betty Eisner's house. Present were Tom Powers, Dr. Sid Cohen, and Will and Betty Eisner. Interestingly, interestingly, while Eisner personally experienced LSD, she was also familiar with 
meditation. The same can be said for Bill Wilson. It says read. Another early explorer of LSD was Alan Watts, the man who introduced Zen to popular culture. Mysticism appears common to some of the key figures of, in the LSD experiments of the 1950s. Betty Eisner herself studied the Eastern religions before beginning her work with the then illegal chemical. In a fond letter to early AA member Tom Powers, Eisner writes, Thomas Merton just isn't a substitute for Tom Powers, much as some of his things help Thomas Merton. Those interested in AA history may know of Bill Wilson's friendship with mystic Gerald Hurd and Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World. Huxley, in fact, called Wilson the, quote, greatest social architect of the century. Passing on an official biography of Wilson refers to Huxley as a pioneer of New Age consciousness. Heard and Huxley delved in psychedelic realm with great enthusiasm. Eisenhower writes, Gerald Heard, Gerald, Gerald Heard, the English philosopher who was uh, very interested in LSD, worked at this time was just as brilliant as Atlas Huxley. I had met Gerald Hurd at uh, Trabuca, a meditation retreat. He and Felix Green found it and built in Southern California in the 1940s. I will never forget the Benedictine silence of Trabuca, and the meditation room built in the three descending circular levels and fitted with black curtains so that it was a place where no light could ever penetrate of the worldly type that is. Of the worldly type that is. Quotes. Uh, Eisner experiences gratitude for discovering the contemplative writings of John on the cross. What? Either during or shortly after a very tough LSD experience. In any case, in some quotes, in the midst of the profound depression, I may have saved my life and certainly saved my sanity by searching through our library book by book until I came upon what I find what finally helped. All night long I submerged myself in the writings of Saint John of the Cross. Uh-huh. That's not good. That is not good, folks. That long, long night of dark of my soul. Thomas Merton, a 
Thomas Merton believed it was a sad thing. People were seeking spiritual truth by LSD ingestion. When the contemplative uh, meditative tra- tradition was right there in the Catholic Church. St. John of the Cross, Catholic Church, Templars, uh, Jesuits. Wonderful. So not only is once more another connection to the Jesuits, and as we go along in this series, we'll start to see more and more of the Catholic Church in this connection to Alcoholics Anonymous. Just never ending, isn't it? It was a sad thing people were seeking spiritual truth by LSD ingestion. When the contemplative meditative tradition was right there in the Catholic Church, but both LSD and anti-biblical meditation are alternative, altered states of conscience that both invite spiritual deception truth to that what is meant by the term anti-biblical meditation this is new age slash eastern meditation which I used to practice when I was an AA and a new ager that caused me a lot of grief believe me. also known in its disguise my choice of uh, descriptive words from a contemplative prayer which has been taught by Teresa of Avila, uh, John John of the Cross, Thomas Burton, Richard Foster, Michael Beckel of IHOP, it's I H O P, and I can't remember, and uh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to go there. Well, we got to now research that IHOP as well. And I know I've read that before, and it just slipped my mind. It has a certain meaning to it. But anyways, we'll go through that, too. She has a lot of links here to go to, so. But I want to read the whole, this first article, then go back to uh, the links. There's so much information out there. I, I literally could spend, and I probably should. Maybe that's part of my mission here um, I mean, is, is exposing AA that it might help somebody come out or prevent them from going in in the first place and to really go to the source of hope and healing and not to put the, become part of that whacked out system where people just it really does corrupt you it corrupted me I mean I was corrupt before I actually went into AA but um, it just further corrupted me and um, in ways that I had no idea it could be corruption. <laughs> our minds are like rushing rivers with our thoughts constantly moving and flowing. That's one of the reasons why I should read the Bible every day. The silence of anti-biblical meditation takes place when the river is stopped, dammed up, and all is still. In this meditative state, the mind is void of thought. And this void, spiritual visitation and deception can occur. Oh, yes, it does, folks. 
people try to say, well, you need to quiet your mind. Uh, no, you need to fill your mind with the right stuff, the Word of God. Then you'll have spiritual, intellectual defense against all this nonsense, and you'll be able to, you know, defend yourself from all that it's out there. Uh, on the other hand, the biblical meditation is an active thing, and our minds are pondering and chewing, so to speak, upon the Word of God. We do not attempt to cease thinking with the goal of entering in entering the silence. Uh, Gerald Hurd re- reportedly meditated three times dur- daily while at uh, Tarbuka, which he ended up donating to Vendetta Society of South Southern California. Heard was present at Wilson's first LSD experience. Betty Eisner own references to mystics like Merton and John of the Cross are revealing, but the book is primarily a look at the rise and fall of LSD therapy. One can almost feel the author being swept away, swept along the psychedelic path. And, of course, you'll hear a lot of people on the Internet, and there's plenty of places up there to say that, you know, they experience a, they have a spiritual experience. Wow, that opens their mind, their third eye, and all this, which is just demon possession. And anyone I've ever talked to, uh, it didn't take very long to figure out how whacked out they are. Um, the crazy things like they're coming to get me, they're coming to get me. Um, they'll be surprised if they take me out and stuff like that, you know. And <laughs> uh, you know, I don't worry about that. As somebody that uh, believes in Jesus Christ and the Bible, and I, I know the history. I know about the, and I've mentioned on this show and others in the show. Numerous times of uh, the tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people who have been slaughtered by the Roman Catholic Church and led by the dragon and Satan. Um, I don't worry about it. So if it happens, it happens. There's not going to do much about it anyway. So I'll put my trust in Jesus Christ, and He's my eternal hope. Okay. Mentioned earlier, and chap- the first chapter of remnants uh, of uh, LSD therapy past are Bill Wilson and Tom Powers. According to Eisner, during this period, the fall of 1956 and early 57, there was a boiling activity. We read reports after report of dozens of people who had taken LSD and or mescaline. And we discussed them, said Cohen and I and Al and Humphrey Osman, when he visited the people like Tom Powers, who came from the East Coast to experience LSD, bringing Will or Bill Wilson from AA on several trips. Every one of the people wanted to talk about their experiences, experiences which were so unique that each one of us was busy trying to make sense of all the phenomena which were occurring uh, to fit into some intelligible description, category, understanding. 
Wilson Hope LSD would help those addicted to alcohol. He realized that AA simply did not work for every motivated every motivated alcoholic. According to Wilson, it is a generally acknowledged fact in spiritual development that ego reduction make, makes the influx of God's grace possible. If therefore under LSD we can have temporary reduction so that we can uh, better see that we are and where we are going, well, that might be of some help. And a quote from Bill Wilson. Of course, Bill not being a Christian and someone who didn't believe in the Bible, he wasn't going to say, hey, why don't you read that? Get a King James Bible, start studying it. Yeah, and when you run across, you know, contradictions or seeming contradictions, that's a great place to start studying, to understand. For those who assume that Bill Wilson was a Christian, in fact, that he believed in LSD, he could possibly facilitate the influx of God's grace, demonstrates much. There was no understanding of grace of Christ, according to his secretary, uh, Nell Wig. During Bill's own ingestion of LSD, he had an experience that was totally spiritual, like his initial spiritual experience. Well, that's the big red flag. The hope that Eisner places and its uh, therapeutic powers of LSD and her own descriptions of its effects after taking the drug herself are remarkable. She mentions her hope for the AA people through ingestion of LSD. I want to test some of these, and this is post, hypotheses, another of which is that alcoholics with proper preparation are almost the best possible subjects. AA, that is, they've been living through their own, their, their hell on earth, and if really close to accepting the third step are really open to what LSD can do for them, if you have any questions, I'd love to try to answer them, end of quote. Eisner and her husband seem to have had a good relationship with AA member Tom Powers, who is prominent in some of these experiments. Betty Grover Eisner describes Wilson's reaction in one of the LSD sessions. Wilson himself writes that Eisner, uh, writes, I must have been, writes to Eisner a letter in 1957. These quotes below are as Eisner presents them in the book, and it seems these are sentences she has perhaps excerpted uh, excerpt from um, excerpt, excuse me, from Bill Wilson's entire letter. Dear folks, please forgive this late response and thanking you both all the friendships you gave me so freely on my last trip to the coast. More often than you can guess, I have continued to thank you. These are quotes now of part of the, the letter Bill wrote to her. 
Since returning home, I have felt and hope have acted exceedingly well. I can no doubt that Eisner Combs Powers LSD therapy was has contributed not a little to this happier state of affairs. I, it looks like the um, contract for our television show is about to be signed. Well, one of the best things about this is that it may bring Tom Powers and me with insight sound of you both once more. Devoutly yours, uh, W. Wilson. William Wilson. Uh, there, is, uh, there is more involving Bill Will- Williams and Tom Powers. The reference to the television show is a mystery. So is much, uh, much else in this fascinating account. You can link to the entire online book right here. A related article describing AA co-founders' response dose to dose of LSD. So, we certainly can go back to all that time goes on. So, the next article then is from this guy. Um, uh, well, first of all, I'm not a, a supporter of this man. I don't think... Uh, He's all he claims to be. He's a little bit suspect. Was definitely into uh, spiritualism, and uh, you tell that he was trained by the Jesuits. And his name is Don Latin. That's L A T T I N. And he wrote a book called Distilled Spirits uh, on Alcoholics Anonymous and as a spiritual movement. And the Still Spirits is the untold story of how Alcoholics Anonymous became an all-American spiritual movement. And so, once again, another connection to um, Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, something that we we should be concerned about, regardless of our ignorance of the matter. Uh, Don Latin is one of America's most important chronicles of untold stories that are shaping our religious culture. A veteran journalist based in San Francisco, his previous books have thrown open windows into one mysterious spiritual movement after another. Earlier, we highly recommended his book, The Harvard Psychedelic Club, how Timothy Leary Ram Dennis, uh, Houston Smith, and Andrew Wells killed the 50s and ushered in the new age for America. That book told a strange story of how four of the most important spiritual voices in the late 20th century passed through a powerful and painful conversions at Harvard. Don stepped back a couple of decades in his new book, Distilled Spirits. In today's wide-ranging interview with uh, Read the Spirit, editor David Crom, Don talks about how 
this new book finally reveals the conflicts between three major figures, or connections, excuse me, between three major figures, Bill Wilson, Aldous Huxley, and Gerald Hurd, the mystic. Interesting combination there, don't you think? And if you don't, then it really should be uh, something to think about. <laughs> Knowing that the same spiritualist movement is infiltrating your church, most likely. The result of their creative collision, among other things, shapes one's of the most important grassroots spiritual movements in American history, Alcoholics Anonymous. The Don Latin, in, Latin interview on distilled spirits, Bill Wilson, Atlas Huxley, and Gerald Hurd. Okay, here's the interview. First, Dave asked the question. Let's begin by explaining why your book is a must-read when I first saw your new book, I wondered why would general readers want to, to learn more about these three fairly obscure guys. Now, having thoroughly enjoyed your book, the answer is obvious to me. You're telling an untold story about Alcoholics Anonymous and the subsequent host of a 12-step groups that touch millions of men's and women's every day. From its founding in the 1930s, AA readily represents a huge change in American religious life, right? Don, it is one of the most important spiritual movements in the 20th century. I am not alone in the, this ass assessment. Headless Huxley called Alcoholics Anonymous founder Bill Wilson the greatest social architect of the 20th century. That's high praise indeed, coming from someone like Huxley. Wilson is important not just because he founded AA and helped millions of people that way. His work is has also is important because his ideas inspired what socialists of religion call the small group movement. David a huge number of our re, of our read the spirit readers are involved in small groups, from twelve step groups to Sunday school circles, to library book uh, library book clubs, from men's breakfasts and to women's groups. There are millions of these circles. Don, that's right. And scholars who study these movements tell us that what came out of the 1930s shaped today's widespread interest in small groups, some of which meet in people's homes, some of which meet in churches or synagogues, meditation groups, some infiltrate affiliated with religion, and some not. After all the research for this new book, I have agreed. I have to agree, Bill Wilson, was a genius. David, there is no uh, running debate about whether AA or 12-step programs are religious or spiritual or secular. But as you say, there is a long-running debate about whether AA is okay and 12-step programs are religious or spiritual or secular. 
your book is fascinating because you look at this interconnection between the between a huge host of people in the first third of the twentieth century, we encountered World War One, Charlie Chapman, Virginia Woolf, and the strange histories of a number of famous drugs, Hindu immigrants and the Vendenta the Vendenta Society. Vedetta Society. This true story is one strange ride I've been writing in this field for decades, and I've discovered lots of things in this book that I never knew. For example, I've written about Bill Wilson over the years, but I never knew that he read William James. And so now we got to look at William James, and who was William James, who was a influential in the spiritualist movement, who lived uh, in the 1900s from from 1841 to 1910, and this man really did influence a lot of people in AA and in the spiritual movement. He went to Harvard, of course. Uh, he's known for his Western philosophy of pragmatism, functional psychology, uh, radical empiricism. Uh, his main interest was in pragmatism. Pragmatism. Uh, psychology, philosophy of religion. Uh, notable the will to believe doctrine um, yeah and if you look in uh, just a little study on him he was heavily into this uh, spiritualism uh, he was, I believe, involved in seances. I'd love to do more study on him on that but before he quote me on that. I know he was involved in some pretty wacky stuff in his quote-unquote spiritual journey. So... Um, yes... Anyways, so we'll study about him. That's part of this journey. It's just it's more than Bill Wilson. It's more than AA. And it, there's Atlas Huxley. There's William James. There's uh, Heard, the, the mystic, mystic. It gets gets weirder and weirder. It really does. <laughs> it really does. Uh, oh well. So where were we at? There. Okay, we're reading. Okay, Don. This is what Don has to say. Bill Wilson wasn't just reading William James. He was reading William James the day after he had an important revelation at an asylum for alcoholics in New York. That's where he had these visions and forms of ideas 
about starting Alcoholics Anonymous. So Bill Wilson was reading William James, we know, at the exact moment when he was more open to new ideas that at any other time in his life, a friend had given him a copy of James' Varieties of Religious Experience, and Bill Wilson read it cover to cover. James is very important influence in development of Alcoholics Anonymous. David, a famous phrase, higher power, the God of uh, your understanding is popularized through AA. It sounds so simple, yet it was a revolutionary idea for two, for two millennia Christians like to beat themselves bloody over the fine distinction about the nature of God. Here was permission to envision your own version of God. Well, that is a whacked-out statement in itself. I do understand what he's saying because it was people that were practicing their original Christianity and they were not having a, what a, a true personal relationship with Jesus Christ and read the Bible. They were denied it most of their lives. It was the first time period, really, and started with the Reformation, but uh, this is that first time period in this past, what, 100 years? In particular now, how easily accessible it is to get a King James Bible and read it. And even fewer people do it now than probably back then. But, if you read the Bible and you develop a relationship with uh, Jesus Christ, there is no beating yourself bloody at all. That would only come from false religion. And, of course, everyone has such a strong opinion about the Bible and how many people actually have studied the Bible. And if they're honest, they're going to say, not really. They'll tell you that they've read the Bible and they've read it numerous times, but that's not the same thing as studying it. David, a famous phrase, higher probability, okay, Don, yes. That's one reason Wilson and Huxley and Hurd are so important. They influenced each other and led to the foundation of, for a revolutionary idea of what today people like to describe as spiritual but not religious movement, which is a, it just that's BS. That's not true. It is a religious movement. Today, in AA, the higher power is defined in many, many different ways. And just because you say you're not religious doesn't mean you are not religious. And I learned that firsthand being going to AA, hanging out with AA members, especially sponsors, and them saying that. And when reality, um, so. Okay. York just posted me a Skype message. You, you, just listen to your AA broadcast. Are you aware that the site passed their uh, freedom uh, uses uh, the e, uh, ESV? Uh, I don't. That's not. That was not. That's not the issue. The issue is exposing the connection between uh, uh, Alistair Crowley's. Uh, 
diary of a drug addict and AA. So, and if you want to go over the uh, the debate about that, he's right. Don't use the ESV. Use the King James Bible. But uh, don't strain it in that. Realize. Okay. So yes, uh, one of the reasons Wilson and Huxley and Hart are so important and influenced uh, each other and led to the foundation of this revolution idea of what today people like to describe as spiritual but not religious movement today, AA, a higher power is defined in many, many different ways. There are even people who take a secular view of this. God could be defined as a group of drunks. That's just terrible. But that's what they say. And that, I don't know what, that wouldn't put that, that make that your God. Just wouldn't do that. <clears throat> so, okay. Today, in a, a higher power is defined in many, many different ways. There are even people who take a secular view of this. God could be defined as a group of drunks. The community itself, but the, uh, these early thinkers who influenced each other, Huxley, Heard, and Wilson, they definitely had a serious interest in studying the mystical and divine. Atlas Huxley, the vast scope of his real brave new world. And I think that's where we'll stop here. We'll stop here and then we'll finish. We'll go from there. Um, next episode. Uh, about Ad, 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 Aldous Huxley and his vast scope of his real brave new world. And then I think we're going to go to and then read some more. Uh, AA is a cult or a cure. And uh, last show, too, I was struggling with uh, Kabbalion, and I think the reason was because of the way it was spelled. Um, but the Kabbalion is, of course, Kabbal, the Kabbal. Another issue in all this. So, Anyways, take care. And... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.